Hello and welcome to the debut episode of It's Only Rock and Roll Podcast. My name is Don DiMuccio, and as the show's title suggests, this series is a celebration of all things rock and roll. We'll be hearing from the artists who make the music, as well as the industry insiders who help the artists who make the music. In a few minutes, we'll be talking to two members of John Cafferty and the Beaver Brown Band. But first, let me introduce you to today's co-host, broadcasting from an undisclosed location, Sound man extraordinaire, my old buddy, David Tiberius Tate. David, how are you? I'm fine. Thanks for the introduction. I really appreciate Tiberius. <laughs> Tiberius. Where did that come in? You've earned wow. it. You've earned it. <laughs> hey, just a little correction. There's a little add-on to your rock and roll theme song. Yeah. we got Billy Joel's still rock and roll to me. That's the next but episode. Okay. You're giving it you know, away, the, Dave. Oh, I'm sorry. Jeepers crow. Jeez. You I'm can, already selling the company out here. Uh, you can dress them up, but you can't take them anymore. You so, don't want to take me out. No, I don't. So I'm, I'm, I'm d- deep in the woods. <laughs> now, I've met you, Dave, about 30 years ago, because these people don't know who the hell either one of us are. Mm. Um, I am a dr- drummer for a blues band out of the New England area called Black and White, and met Dave because you were the house sound man for a club that we kind of got our start. It was like our vision of the Cavern Club, and... We'll give him a plug. The Full Moon Saloon in Warwick, Rhode Island. <laughs> yes, that right now, what is it, a parking lot now? Uh, no, it's a Walmart. It's a Walmart. <laughs> yeah. Yes, the evolution of rock and roll. That's right. Rhode Island rock and roll. And that was smart because, you know, everyone else is like looking, talk to bartenders, talking to the girls. No, no, no. I made the beeline to the most important person in the room, the sound man. Because I know, because I knew it could sound make, hack. Well, I, was a, I never claimed to be as the best. I just claimed to do my best. Well, I was only nineteen, uh, so what did I know? Yeah, that's all right. I just wanted to. Dr- I still say I'm a hack, even to this day. No, what, no, 30, no, 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 no. Later. So, <laughs> so here we are, um, as this show is taping. It's late April, 2020, in the middle of this crazy Corona pandemic, and a lot of uh, it's hitting. Obviously, everybody hard, but it's really hitting the entertainment industry. And uh, national tours have been postponed indefinitely. Musicians like myself, who've made a living playing at live venues, right now are just in a uh, in a holding pattern, and we don't know if or when this is going to end. And uh, hopefully, the clubs survive because it's it's tough. <laughs> it's tough when times are good for clubs to survive, as we know. But uh, a lot of a lot of people are looking towards uh, music, and I don't know about you, Dave. We're of a reasonably similar age group, where uh, when I was a kid, music was it was the soundtrack to my life. Uh, kids today, kids today, Dave, they oh, yeah. uh, with their ninety nine cent downloads, and uh, it's just you know it's just wallpaper to them. And I you know I don't I don't want to over generalize, but let's face facts. Uh, Rock and roll isn't exactly where it was even 15, 20 years ago. And I think a lot of that is because people have low expectations. And, um, you know, music is disposable now. And that's what the industry 
wants because they don't have to pay the artist and they don't have to develop the artist. Just some new person comes out with a squeaky voice and they're the, the hit of the day and then they go away and bring out someone else. What do you think? I think you're totally right. You know, it's, uh, it's, what do they, what do they used to call that? Uh, one hit wonders. One hit that's wonders. It. Yep. That's what, it, that's what seems like most music, uh, companies today just want to push out one hit wonders take the money and run and let the let the artist um flay by the side no support that's my opinion i'm and i'll stick by it and it's nothing new by the way i don't want to just pin it on the uh 21st century the era right before the beatles was a lot like this where it was disposable bobby v and bobby g and bobby d and these these fly-by-night people would they would discover them at a shopping mall and say hey kid can you sing? Oh, yeah. That's it. And, you know, and they make two, three songs that all sounded the same, and that would be it. And I think uh, when the Beatles kind of reset the stage for what the industry was going to be, you know, the artists took control, and um, and 90% of them rose to the occasion. And yeah. this is what yeah. this podcast is about, celebrating true rock and roll as an art form, which, I, you know, I, I think it's one of the... Next to the blues and jazz, it's the greatest American export to come out of our country. Oh, yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. We 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 have our own culture. Or we've created, we had created our own culture in it. Um, you know, because you had the British invasion. That was a big thing. And then, you know, American rock and roll is always pretty uh, solid. Right. So, uh, yeah. And then yeah. we talked about the 99 cent thing before. You, know, you want to contrast that to when we were kids and a new album was coming out and you got excited for it and you took it home and you played the thing over and over um wore it out oh yeah you know i mean i remember when billy joe's glass houses came out and we heard a couple singles on the radio i bought the singles played those two songs over and over it was it was just a different time period and i don't know I hate to sound like one of those old people, you know, at the bar lamenting World War II, but you know that's kind of how it is now. It's it's a it's it's a bygone era, or is it? Well, you know, um, styles come back. Everything repeats itself eventually, somewhere, somehow, in some form. So uh, it's not not totally gone. I mean, a lot of the greats or a lot of the current greats. Are still touring, you know. Very true. So, but that's um, coming know. to an end too. Unfortunately, it's just it, the clock's well, running with the out. Virus. Well, no, yeah, I don't mean yeah, that. It but is, I mean, it is. It's funny you should say that because I was thinking that the other last week when uh, John Pine just uh, passed away. Is it John Pine? John Pine. Yeah. Pine. John Pine. I'm sorry. Uh, forgive me, John. Didn't mean to mispronounce your name. I don't think he cares. Um, you know, and before that, we had a couple others that that had passed on, and but it's it's the uh, the um, it's what happens to us we you know the stars it, fade yeah yep and it's not that the stars are fading so much as it is just that these guys the have given it good. all they've given years look at the stones i mean they're the obvious oh. example but oh yeah i mean charlie's got to be looking at 80 years old ringo oh, yeah they're all, ringo's all gonna be 80, 80. and yeah. uh, he ju- doesn't look it though i think i saw him a couple of days ago in a video and and Boy, he there wasn't a gray hair on him. No, it looks great. 
<laughs> a buddy of mine saw him in person and said he's got the body of a 12 year old girl <laughs> i mean he's just fit <laughs> and i'll tell you he was going to tour but he had to cancel because of the virus sure, and uh, sure. i think i think they're all going to take a hit this year yeah it's going to be pretty tough yep yep you know i think but, it's going to be pretty tough you know speaking of uh great bands that have continued to tour does this uh this song ring any bells dave <laughs>
guests today are longtime members of arguably the most commercially successful musical export to come out of the state of Rhode Island, a band the Washington Post once hailed as a blend of maturity and power. Please welcome from the Beaver Brown Band guitarist Gary Grimalini and sax player extraordinaire Michael Toons and Toons. Welcome to the show, guys. Hey, you rock and roll. Hey, how we all doing? All right, not bad, not bad. Yes. Good to be here. Well, that, yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Anyone with a, with a movie channel subscription has heard you guys with soundtrack credits, including uh, something about Mary, Cobra, Jersey Girl, and of course, most famously, Eddie and the Cruisers franchise, uh, let alone having scored six Billboard Top 40 hits. So, of course, my first question is, why the hell would you guys agree to do this show? We, we have nothing else to do. You know what I mean? <laughs> ah, join the club. <laughs> because we're old friends. You know, we got nothing to do no, sitting at home on a rainy day. And... That's right. It's, no. You know, what it is is uh, payback to old friendships of musicians from the state like yourself. Oh, that's very and kind. if you don't give it back, don't expect anything. You know what I mean? So true. So, so true. Thank you for having us. Well, thank you. Now, yes, look, indeed. from the first time I heard you guys, I always heard a lot of influences like Gary U.S. Bonds, uh, Mitch Ryden, Detroit Wheels. Am I, am, I, am I correct in that was some of the stuff that you were listening to? Entirely. I mean, Probably, when, we, yeah. when, the, when the band first started, we were playing uh, Mitch Ryder's tunes. Matter of fact, the first song we ever successfully executed was uh, Devil with a Blue Dress. When, when, and that, when we played that, we knew we had a band. And uh, after that, we stopped looking for other players. Right. And then, uh, you know, we played uh, Jack Gary U.S. Band's songs. Uh, J.C. has done many, many, and tunes have been done many gigs with... Uh, yeah, with Gary. Gary and I go back to, like, 1965, when I used to bat, when I was living in upstate New York. And uh, so when I heard these guys doing some of those songs like that, I said, that's cool. That's cool. Cause, you know, he had a saxophone on those big songs that he had, and... The influence that I heard coming into the band were extraordinary, really solid foundation of music. Well, that brings up another point now. Gary, you're a founding member. Too. You came in in 78, am I wrong? 77? 77. Uh, 77. I, I was the orphan. <laughs> yeah, we we had had we had had a couple of other sax players in the band, and uh, the first guy didn't work out so well. The second guy was good, but his uh, he uh, got involved with a woman who wanted to wanted him to stay home, didn't want him to get out and be in front of too many girls. That and so uh, yeah. that didn't work. And Tunes was on the scene, and uh, we were we auditioned a lot of a lot of saxophone players, but Tunes was right on the scene. We had him come down, and it was uh, a match made in heaven. The day he, he came yeah. down and. Sure. It was so funny because uh, when I walked into the rehearsal, the, the, the band that I had at the time, I was uh, tr trying to lean more to what John and Gary and the guys were doing was original music, but they were reluctant. They wanted to stay with that top 30s, and, you know, and I had a top band, and so when that I was walked in the rehearsal, yeah. That was uh, Triumph. Triumph. Yeah, yeah, it was uh, Mike and Gene in Triumph. And so when I walked into the joint rehearsal at the, down on the ocean, and uh, and it was you, Gary. He goes, uh, nonchalantly, he says, do you know Honky Tonk? I said, you do it in the original <laughs> key? And Gary started playing it, and we just ran right into it, and I came, and Bobby, God rest his soul, Bobby Katoya, he goes, holy, <laughs> I don't want to swear on your back, but, and that was the moment 
Yeah, that yeah. that uh, yeah. that was another defining moment when uh, the first time Tunes put his horn in his mouth and we played uh, hockey talk and it just was like, okay, this is it. You're the guy. And uh, next thing we did was uh, recorded Tender Years and Tunes blew the solo and uh, that's the one that you hear on the record that you that 45 yeah. that you have uh, in your possession, Don. Yes, a very rare covered in 1980. And I guess yeah. you guys sold ten thousand copies of that, which is no small feat for a, a, you know, a local man. Yeah, we, we were number we were number one on WNEW for five weeks with a self-produced single. Yeah. That's fantastic. Yeah, I actually, had uh, done that WBR Ruth thing. Uh, are you over there at uh, Brown? Is it Brown University? Yep. Yeah. They were playing it, and a few, you know, it it, it had the potency then, as it still has now. Sure. That that song was John wrote was just so forever, and I get a chance to say that. And uh, I, Gary knows this, and you know Benny King had asked John who wrote that, and John said I did. And Benny King told me, he says, "Yo, man, you you wrote a forever song, and ten sure and ten years is a forever song." I remember hearing it as a probably eight or nine year old. At the time on uh, JB105, oh, they no. used to play a lot of... <laughs> yeah, sure. I'm Eight dating myself. <laughs> but I do remember they, they would play... He's a child, Tunes. Uh, <laughs> He's a child. I thought you were going to say eight or nine years ago. <laughs> no, 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 no. But I do remember, because they, they that was a station that was pretty kind to local bands or yeah. regional bands. I mean, um, yeah, it was. Now, Tunes, when, I hear, when I hear you're playing, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I immediately think of King Curtis. Well, he was a, a uh, one of the people I I got an opportunity to perform with him twice, and oh, wow. I I heard him and Junior Walker, because you see, uh, you know, King Curtis was maybe just a couple of years sure. older than me. You know, when I came in Beaver Brown, I was already forty something. I mean, thirty six, thirty seven. Okay. Yep. And um, so when I met King Curtis in nineteen sixty three. It, it was at Cornell University, and I sent my guy up there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where? And then, what song did we play? That's what uh, the poignancy or of it is that it was honky tonk. Oh, jeez. And he said to me, he goes, and he's a big guy too. He's a lot, not as big as Clarence, but a little shorter. Yeah. And he says, and he looks down. He says, uh, you know, honky tonk. I says, yeah. He says, play the roof. And we went into it, and it was a little bit quicker than the the the. Uh, Original Bill Doggett version, yeah. yeah. And he just went one, two, three, four, and it, I said, and I said, damn, I gotta record that. I find now this is what yeah, nineteen sixty. I did, did. and I recorded it with Beaver Brown Band down at the old at the Mist, and I finally did, and that was like nineteen eighty something. Yep, I remember that. And you, and you harmonized remember? yourself. You played it in thirds. It's yep. the, I, and it uh, cool. I, I took it up to Northeastern with my son, Kevin, who's, a, you know, he's a Madonna's musical director. But he was a music major up at uh, Northeastern. And I did that. And I and I finally got it down. And I got it down with the guys that I met when Gary said, hey, you know, honky tonk? And it sounded like <laughs> King Curtis in my other ear. <laughs> no, that's great. We, uh, we, we used to do all the King Curtis songs. So we did Soul Twist. We did uh, uh, we did, uh, we did some Junior Walker songs. We did that uh, uh, Hot Cha. We used to do Walking yeah, with Mr. Lee, uh, Harlem Nocturne. You see, I was doing, you know, when, when uh, uh, 
King was with, uh, he was Aretha Franklin's uh, right. M- MD for a good while there. And he was out of Texas. And he was just like, I heard him play. I said, wow. So it's influences on me because they had the records and, you know, you could reach them. They can't reach you. Yeah, right, right. By that, I mean, you could go in a store and buy. And But there was that. It was Cannonball Adderley. There was Zoot Sims and all yeah. this. See, Mercy, I, I, mercy. Yeah, and I'm a lot older than the guys in the band. As a matter of fact, I'll be 80 this summer. Oh, God bless you. And so when I was growing up in the 40s and the 50s, all these great jazz saxophone players, you know, and then it was the bebop players and stuff. And then I just sort of like listened to them. My father would say, listen and learn. You copy them, but don't copy them so much so that people think of this one. Right, like right. Oh, yes. you sound Be your own self. Sure, And sure. that's what I call all the musicians. Learn from the other ones, but become your own self. Those old rock and roll records, were, many of the players on them were jazz players who were just playing what was yeah. uh, what was on the session. And that's right. why they swing so hard, those old really uh, little Richard songs. especially, yeah. The little yep. Richard songs and the saxophone players—they're just killing it, and they're just playing simple for them. Right, but it was—it right. was, it was all correct, and, and you know that's what made them so powerful. Is that and, these and guys see, knew what the, they were doing. Sure. And, and the thing about it, you know, when people always think rock and roll, you think about uh, it was most of the influence was on the singers and the guitars. That was rock and roll, the guitar. Oh, and the saxophone too, and, and just the, the band. Yeah, but the saxophone came in later. Yeah, you hear more solos coming from guitar players. You know what I mean? Sure, you know, Chuck Berry and uh, in uh, uh, what you call Buddy Holly and those guys. Yeah, and, but uh, you know the band too, though the rhythm sections is what made those rhythm records. Se- that's you know, right. Like, that's what made you want to dance, and that was rock and roll. Those Chuck Berry yep. songs, like you said, Gary, make you want to dance. So those drummers, like it was, uh, they were Palmer. jazz players, right? They were all jazz oh, yeah. guys. That's oh. why you get that that preciseness and that groove. The groove, the groove is, is what changed. It's, it's yep. with, it, it, with the rock and roll. It swung. I asked, like Chuck Berry. I mean, I I did many shows with Chuck at Madison Square Garden and right here in Providence Civic Center, Boston Garden. Uh, you know, uh, I mean, it was a whole, it was Richard Nader's rock and roll, original rock and roll review. Yep. And that was, uh, you know, was an honor. And then later on, we as Beaver Brown, remember, Gary, we did that show. Was it in Detroit, that big raceway? Yeah, with Chuck, with, with, Chuck? Ch- with Chuck Berry and the Romantics, and I think it was uh, the blind kid from, Can- from Canada. Which, yeah, the uh, guitar player that sat down and played. Yeah, Jeff Healy. Jeff Healy. Yeah, that's him. And, yeah, that was and, cool. Uh, was that a Grand Prix? They had a, they had a, yeah. a, a little road race in the in the in Detroit City. Now, did Chuck have a, uh, just a pickup band with him as usual? Yes. Yeah. I, yeah. Yeah. And it was so funny because Bobby Katoya was busting my chops. He said, Tunes, I thought you said you know Chuck. I said, yeah, I'm giving him a moon. Come on, come on. No, you really don't now. <laughs> <laughs> Remember, Gary? Yeah. This, like big dining hall area, right? I walked yeah. over and said, hey, Chuck, how's it going? He said, hey, and he's looking at me. And the guys are all over there. <laughs> it was funny. It was funny. Yeah, I tried to get him to sign my guitar. He wouldn't do it. Oh, yeah, he was. You didn't want to add too much value to it. <laughs> <laughs> Not for free, anyway. Oh, no. Just being in the room with Chuck Berry was, like, enough for me. I mean, that guy was, like, the poet, grand, poet, poet laureate of rock and roll. I mean, no, nobody oh, he, he like was Chuck. just amazing. I you know, one meet, quick story yeah, with please. him. You know, you always hear the story about 
he got paid before his shows. Right. Well, I saw that actually <laughs> happening. And we were up in Toronto doing the NATO tour, and we're at Maple Leaf Auditorium, and I opened his dressing room door, and he was standing there counting this big stack of money. I'm saying, what? He says, oh, excuse me, I'll be right with you, Tunes. I just stepped back and closed the door, and he came out. He had that money in his pockets. And, he, and it was so yeah, money like 10, up front. Yeah, it was like 10 grand. I said, oh, my God. You know, I, after that, I always just knock on the door, and then I'd go in. But that's true. He would get his money before, you know, he, and then go out and do his show. So many of those guys got burned so bad oh, by yeah. unscrupulous managers. Well, he, he was one of them. Oh, yeah. yeah. And he never he forgot it. That's why he re-recorded much of his catalog on Mercury Records, and they were they were a shadow of the original records on Chess, but right. uh, yeah. he did it so he could make the money himself instead of uh, giving it up, sure. giving it up to Leonard Chess and the janitor that that swept up after the session was over. Yeah, and he also, you know, his first number one song was that My Dingling song. Yeah, which all is his a- songs, which is so strange. And we were, Richard Nader presented it to him. We were at uh, Madison Square Garden, and and we were all like, whoa, you know, because the song was all over the place. But we didn't know it was number one because we were too busy doing what we're doing right. and see, seeing if our records are in the top 100 or right, right. top 40. Right. You know, and this is uh, Burning the Cavaliers group and stuff. But, yeah, that's silly. That song was like a throwaway. It's just yeah. dumb that, that that was his biggest hit. It's like Kokomo for the Beach Boys. Yeah, right. Their one number one record is Kokomo. That's good. Not, I get around, not good vibrations, not uh, heroes and villains, not uh, any of the deep stuff that they did. Right, right. But that's what that's what made the, uh, you know, that's oh, what made Chuck Berry. It was a novelty hit. And I yeah. think that's yeah. what, you know. But boy, that kind of segues good into what I've always talked about is how much the music business has changed. Gary, being that you started with the with the band in 72 can you kind of tell us a little bit about what it was like back then getting gigs compared to today or what the whole scene was like uh, the- well there's a whole different manner of, uh, of of working we used to have an agent before we had an agent you had to try to shoehorn your way into any place you could and if you were good they'd call you back and uh, you know we did that in several places and then uh, kenny o'brien god rest his soul he he heard, he heard of us, came and saw us, and said, I can get you work. And he he booked us all over the place. The first uh, summer that he booked with us, he booked us. We worked seven nights a week for ten weeks uh, in the days when there were that many places to play. It used to be a lot easier because there were many more places for live music. Uh, things are a little bit more restrictive now. And uh, in those days, uh, you know, 18, 18 was the drinking age, so 15-year-old kids were getting into the clubs, obviously, yeah. and uh, there were a lot more kids out there. Nowadays, it seems like uh, the proving ground is the internet. Yeah, and, uh, kids, yeah definitely. Kids, kids go home, and they make a little video, and they get it on the internet, and if it's if you get enough hits, then uh, you start getting some sponsorships, and then you start getting some notification. Yeah. And the, the live music scene, is uh, it's still there, but it's a shadow of what it used to be. They used to be, I don't know, what do you say, tunes? Is there 60 clubs in Rhode Island with live music? Maybe, oh. 100, maybe 100? And, oh, at, at least that. At and, least that. At least and, 40, 50. And they, are, they were open five nights a week with live music. Right. 
So guys and like it, us, you know, we, we made a living at it. You know, we made we didn't make a lot of money, but we worked enough to pay the rent, buy ourselves food, and keep on yeah. going out and playing. And to us, that was like, you know, that was like hitting, getting the gold ring. Right. Then you had to go out and look for the gigs. Now, like Gary says, you know, with the internet, you you, you they call you because you got a website. Right. They're calling you because a lot of people are seeing a lot of people that you wouldn't have access to because you couldn't afford to put a big ad in a newspaper that were looking for work. Sure. And probably say, if you're looking for work, you can't be that good. Yeah. <laughs> well, news, newspapers are a shadow of what they used to uh, be, too, as well. Uh, Gary, yeah, yeah. remember you guys said that the very first gig that you guys had was at uh, URI. URI, yeah. So the and, and and Bobby came up with the name Beaver Brown from a paint can. Yeah. Oh, you guys said they they were going to just use it just you know until we settle on a real name, a real name. That so gig went over so hot and we so over hard. Big. Nobody mm-hmm. could. That's all they said was Beaver Brown, Beaver Brown. So you couldn't get rid of the name. Sure. And yeah, we, did, we played it. We would, next thing we played at was uh, was Schiller's, and uh, mm-hmm. actually it was called the Blue Door then, and then uh, became yeah. Schiller's. Where's that? And that's uh, I mean, that, 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 it's now it's now called Spain Restaurant. But oh, okay, I know. It was, yeah. it was yep. the blue. Yep. Yeah. First, it was the uh, the Blue Door. Then it was the Ocean View. Then it was Schiller's. And uh, we lived uh, less than a mile away from the place, so we played there once a month yep. for yeah. you know four or five days. And uh, you know that was that was kind of like where we cut our teeth on uh, on performing, and uh, you know, we got really good at it really quickly because the band was yeah. good. And, sure. And, uh, and later on came the Beachcomber every Wednesday. Yeah, Beachcomber? Every Wednesday. You know, and, and um, what was yeah, it, we, up in uh, Smithfield. Up in no, Smithfield, Smithfield at, the, at Gulliver's. At Gulliver's. Over, or in Bristol at Mr. T's. Mr. We T's. The, we had three regular one-nighters every, uh, every, uh, then, every week. What was the two places in uh, um, in Pawtucket? Literally across January the street. January in the Edge. January's yep. in the Edge, yeah. We played there all the time. But you, and, uh, you know, like you had said about live music uh, and the difference from before and today, there was two clubs that were literally across the street from us that were always jammed. Don, they came down, right? And I'm playing. I had a, like a, you know, this is disco era. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and my band was like the, one of the top in the state for playing not only the disco, but we'd actually played a top 30. Any song in the top 30, we could hit it and strum. So they walk in with a leather jacket, long hair, and I'd say, that's good, because Kenny O'Brien would say, oh, the guys are going to stop down and see you one of these days, right? And I looked, it's them. <laughs> There's no one else. Tours just got this orange satin suit on, and he's like, <laughs> up there doing, uh, doing and I had uh, an afro. who's that lady? I had an afro that was like, holy yeah, Jesus. Yeah, big afro, and they're doing who's that lady, you know? <laughs> so... Yeah. Kenny Vance was a founding member of Jane the Americans. Yeah, yeah, he was he was one of the Americans, yep. How did he get involved with you guys and Tastic? Well, that happened um New York City. We got, we, yeah, we got a call uh John and I they wanted us to uh, Kenny Vance call. He had seen us we did it. We had done a show a few months or so before. We were, we were playing in New York end. City. It was, yeah. it was the other the other end. The other end. It was owned by and, the other uh, end. We played there, and Kenny Vance came in with Doc Palmas and watched yeah. us play. Yeah, but we, we never saw play. it. We never talked to him, really. No, but then and later then, on, we got the call. They, they wanted to come down later, to see yeah. us. He we were playing. John, where were we at? In, um, we were at Rosalini's. Right, yeah. 
in Pawtucket, Connecticut, now called the Phoenix. They they came down and saw us. Uh, apparently, what happened is uh, they were working on uh, Marty Davidson had uh, written a screenplay for a book called Eddie Wilson and the Parkway Cruisers. Yeah, and made, trying to make it him, yeah, and trying to make it into a movie, and they had uh, hired somebody to make to record the music to write the music for it. And they needed some rock and roll songs for this legendary guy who was fictional legendary guy from the 60s. Mm-hmm. And uh, they hired, uh, I think his name was Joel Brooks. And he had written yeah. a song to Nashville. He was a big movie songwriter. <clears throat> but he, he turned in two bodies of material that were turned down because they, were, they didn't match the, match the story. Right. So now they're all out of money and they needed somebody to do the job fast and cheap. And Kenny had seen us play, and he said, "I know just the band." And they, he brought Marty Davidson down to Rosalini's work. Yeah, and Beaver Tom Brown Marriott, was Michael Bray, all yeah. of them. Yeah, and the, mm-hmm. we were we were at the top of our game down there. We were we were killing audiences all over the place and packing the house. And right. uh, they came and saw us, and then after the show, they said, uh, "We'd like you guys to do this movie soundtrack for us." And uh, uh, one thing led to another, led to another, and we said yes, and. Uh, uh, we ended up using some songs that we had already written, and then John wrote. John was, had already become an accomplished songwriter at that time. He, turned, he wrote Tender Years. Right. He wrote Wild yeah. Summer Nights. We had made that single, and that single was number five, number one on New WNEW for five weeks in yeah, uh, 1980 or 81. Too. Yeah, and. Um, <clears throat> And uh, we were doing some other of our own songs, and uh, so we uh, we ended up using and some of. And you see in the movie, if I can interject a second, in the movie they took a lot of the nuances that we do on stage, you know, like in Wild oh, Summer yeah. Nights. Yeah, they punching of the hands. Yeah, they dressed like <clears> us. <throat> you know what they, I mean? They came down they, to watch us, and they copied. <clears throat> they used the same instruments. They looked like us. They, they wore the same clothes. And it they, caused a huge contradiction to the public when On the Dark Side hit off of HBO, because <laughs> they were going, and you know, people would be going, Eddie, 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 you know, and we're walking on the stage. <laughs> well, you the, know? something that I, in doing a little research, did not realize was that when the movie first came out it was 19 yeah it was 1983 83 and it was kind of a sleeper hit the it wasn't a hit at all it came out it wasn't no it just it was out for about six weeks and then they pulled it a little footnote for you one of the if you listen to the soundtrack uh my son derek who became the drummer for new kids on a block he was one of the seven kids we had singing on the end of the of the season uh, in hell oh season in hell that's very cool. Very cool. And uh, all right, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, not at all. But what I didn't realize was the, the the single was released twice. The first time in '83 under the name, which is ridiculous, Eddie and the Cruises. Yes, because it was the movie. Right, as the band, and then that didn't go anywhere. But when they a year later, once it was on HBO and it was and it had gained that that big cult following, they re-released the single, properly credited it. To John Cafferty and Beaver Brown band, and it goes to number one. Yeah, we were. Uh, uh, well, don't forget, there was MTV at the same time. Oh right. MTV was new, but so between MTV and the movie plan, all that whole month of June, and to go from nothing to selling forty, fifty thousand a week. Yeah, we, we got the call and said, "Hey, you guys are selling <laughs> like you know records like hot, hot, like hotcakes. We we need a video." 
And we were in the studio. for a while, Summer Nights and Tender Years. So uh, yeah. we, we, were, we had a gig up uh, booked up at the channel in Boston. And uh, so, uh, okay, well, let's see if we went up early. And they called around and notified some of our fan club. And uh, they uh, said, we're going to shoot a video at the, at, at, this, at the channel. If you want to be on it, come on down. And so about 100 kids came down, and uh, they brought in a, a filming crew, and we, we uh, they played the record, mm-hmm. and we uh, you know lip synced the record uh, three or four times, and then we did the same thing for Wild Summer Nights in Tendy Years. Yep. And uh, was it Wild Summer Nights? No, it was Dark Side. Dark Side on the Dark Side in Tendy Years. Dark Side, because right. my, yeah. my right, right, because that was, was the one that was that was the one that was moving. And anything about the crowd, they never showed the crowd because the focus had to be on the band. So people would know this is the real band. It was right. in black and white. It was, it was <coughs> yep. smoky black and white, a lot of close-ups and uh, this. And but that we one, that on, was, over that was ten weeks. On we were number yeah. one, yeah, for over on ten weeks. So Amazing. between that and MTV, it was like bang, 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 bang. Yeah, and it was we, in, just incredible. We were the first band <clears throat> to score a gold record on the basis of uh, video cassette uh, rentals and, and you know HBO instead of just like radio playing. Well, and that's then the video, the, wow. the, the video cassettes launched the record on the radio, and after that, so we had to we had a double whammy that was like you know kind of pushing it up. Sure, it it put a lot of different things into role because you know like from uh, Sylvester Stallone used us uh used voice of america sons as a theme song to cobra right you know right, what i mean right, which right. was kind sure. of cool and, and you know that whole history there's a, a litany of things that that just happened we became the number one college band in america for like yep. two or three years in a row. Yep. that's great yeah so it was like that was like playing tennis in a small room when you're bouncing the ball real hard <laughs> and the ball was us yeah <laughs> But it was uh, it was interesting though when that when that record started to break and we started to play, you know, we were playing some places that we had played before, but all of a sudden there were like thousands of people instead of hundreds coming. Sure. And the, yeah, the, the, the response the was that, enormous. In yeah, Wilkes-Barre, the first one in Poughkeepsie when we did the Civic Center in Poughkeepsie was it Poughkeepsie? That was yeah, like, okay. yeah, it was Poughkeepsie. And we go there, we're in the back room, and Lupo tells me, "What the hell is that?" I said, "That's the people screaming and yelling." <laughs> what? <laughs> <laughs> you better get a hold of yourself, boy. <laughs> and we walked out there. The, the, you know, Civic Center is jammed, and they're screaming and yelling. But, yep. you know, the thing about it was that the, 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 the tenacity of, uh, of the band at that time was so high that it didn't really phase anybody to be in front of a big audience because everybody felt we should have been there. Well, we, we, knew, sure. we knew we, we could deliver. Know? We knew we yeah. could deliver. The band was like at the top of its form. We were a powerful engine. We were a powerful band.
Grimalini and Michael and Tunes Tunes from John Caffney and the Beaver Brown Band for spending some time with us today on the It's Only Rock and Roll podcast. Wow, it's pretty pretty cool, huh, Dave? These guys have a hell awesome. of a story to tell. Yeah, that yeah, was awesome. Yeah. And you know they're still doing it, man. They are doing it night after night and uh, holding up the mantle for Rhode Island and New England. And not a whole lot of national acts came out of our area, but they're definitely on the top. It's great to see them. It's great to see them get together and play, you know, just bring us back to that time and, and just listen, hear the tunes and watch them do their craft. They are they are just top notch. Absolutely. They always have been top notch in what they do. I'm very proud to say they're from Rhode Island and, and you know, have them a part of. Right. But enough about that. Music. Dave, this is, come on, you know this show's all about me, right? Yeah, you know, I've been I, I've been meaning to ask you. Uh, whoops! Is it a big thrill for you to be to be with me today? Yes, it is. This all right. is, is indeed an honor. After all our years of working together, or, right? You know, right. Friendship, and uh, here we are, um, doing this show together. And I, I want to thank you for inviting me oh, as your co-host. Please, Dave. It's uh, it's my pleasure. And uh, everybody else was and it busy. Be. Um. What do you, I understand you got something uh, cooking up here to embarrass me on my first day? Oh, I wouldn't embarrass you, no. I just want to, I think it's time to uh, play my favorite game, and it's uh, Thump. Thump time. Wow, that was smooth. <laughs> Have we worked the kinks out yet? No. We're getting there. We'll get there. We'll get there. Yeah. We'll get there. It's uh, all in the prep work. That's it's all right. in pre-production. What the hell's going on here? That's what I want to know. <laughs> yeah. 
He's down on the phone. Now I'm right here. All right. Um, what the hell? Are you, what is going on here, Dave? Well, I got a question to ask you, Don, because yeah. I know you're 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 a bit of a trivia buff. Um, my question to you is: Which song from Abbey Road did not appear in the original album jacket, as the band had no intentions of releasing that tune? Mm-hmm. Do you want the multiple choices, or do you want to you want to guess that? Oh, Dave, who do you think you're talking to? Multiple mm-hmm. choice. Uh, I think it's going to be Her Majesty. Mm. Mm. And I would play it right now, but I'd be sued by Apple Corps. No, you'd be blacked out by the yeah, broadcast right. company. <laughs> well, I, I would think that's it. I, I can't seem to get an answer otherwise, <laughs> but because, you know. What the hell's going on? Uh, it's exactly yeah, right, that's what Casey. I'm saying. That's exactly right. On? What the hell's going on here? Well, no, it is Her Majesty. In fact, um, copies of the album, the first pressing, are quite valuable um, without Her Majesty listed on the cover. Really? Yep. What do you think they're going for now? Well, I mean, it's all about condition. Yeah. Which is like, I, there, there's so many people that call me up and say, Oh, Don, I got a, a Beatles album. Is it worth hundreds? Because it's an original. And it's got like, you know spilled beer on it and you know it's all torn to shreds like it must be worth something right well condition is king on all things and um so no but a a decent condition first pressing abbey road could easily catch 250 dollars wow that's it just 250 well yeah because i was gonna think you know how many copies of that album sold millions oh yeah um there's there are other albums which most people know about, like the famed Butcher cover, which recently, I think a mint condition one sold for, I want to say $75,000. That's the famous really? Yesterday and Today album where the original album shot was the Beatles dressed in white butcher jackets with meat, bloody meat all over them and decapitated oh, baby towels. I kind of see. Yeah. They, is that the one with the baby head? Yes, yes, oh, yes. Oh, yeah. A little, uh, yeah. you know, a nearly foray into uh, Satanism, but I don't think oh. that that wasn't what was on their minds. There was just a, no. a crazy avant-garde idea that the photographer had. You know, long story short, record uh, was printed, I believe, just promo copies. Uh, a couple of them got out, um, but as soon as there was a backlash, they immediately recalled them, and they pasted a new album cover over it. And I think it took a couple of years before. Kids realize that there was another cover under there, and they all tried to steam it off. And so, there's all different versions that are, have varied v- values. Wow. Obviously, a first state they call it, which is the original cover, is worth the most. And I think we just lost half of our audience, Dave. Because I'll bring How's up that? I, I'll bring up things about the Beatles that in conversations where it's not even appropriate. <laughs> you know, I could be at a funeral Darn. and be like, you know, can we hear about the Paula's dead rumors? Not not time to talk about that. We don't necessarily have to, necessarily have to talk about the Beatles. There's plenty about rock and roll that uh, we've uh, covered over or been through in our years. Although I can honestly say I've never partied with Mick or or Keith or any of those guys. But oh, we uh, we did party with Chuck Berry. Yes, you did. Yes, you did. And yeah. let me tell you, that was uh, that was. Did he thrilling. show you the pictures? <laughs> I was thinking about it too, because was that was right when that controversy broke, 
where I, I don't know oh if people God. remember, but he, I think he owned a I'm restaurant. What was it? He owned a restaurant in St. Louis and he had a, like that. he had a little couple of peepholes in the ladies' rooms. He had, and, but he had, he had, he had a, he, let's just say he had a, uh, oh, what's the word we're looking for? <laughs> he Perversion. was getting into photography. He was getting into oh, photography. Yeah. That's right. That's right. Hey, you know? now he, he's deceased, so nobody can. No one's going to sue me or anything he, for a libel, right? So. No, I no. Don't okay. Think so. As long okay. as they're getting their royalty checks, that's all. That he's a complicated guy. He was a complicated man. And uh, oh yeah, uh, that's a, is that what we're calling it? How it's <laughs> complicated. Okay. Well, well, even before that, he had been screwed over by the record companies so many times, and he carried that such was big a, back then. Though, well, of course it was. They, that's how you get the one-time wonders. You know, they they just flash in the pan type thing. They would buy the royalties or the the right the rights to the song and leave the artist by the roadside. You know, so that was that was nothing new in that business. And that's another reason why when the British invasion broke, most of those bands were well managed, and they yeah. they, they got screwed yeah. too. But for the most part, they it was a, a another turning point where again bringing it all back home. Nowadays, these kids on American Idol, I heard some lawyer looked at one of their contracts and it comes this close to indentured servitude. Really? It's it's almost illegal. Wow. How much they own. I actually I met Justin Guarini once at a gig. I don't know if you remember him. He was he came he was the runner up in the first season. And yeah. uh he's a great kid. But just from little things he was telling me, they 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 have a tight leash on the artist. And really? believe me, it ain't the kids winning who are making the what money. It's all the producers. It's the, it's all the record company wow. execs, and you know that. And yeah, it's been like that since time of memoriam. But the less control the artists have, the better the company's gonna like it. That's why we find ourselves in the situation we do. I can't say nobody owns me except for the banks. That's right, and this podcast. But anyway, it was really great. I really enjoyed it. I want to thank you for having me as your host. I hope you come back Co-host. and join us again sometime. I will. I'm all always right. here. All right. I'm just a phone call away. <laughs> and I want to thank, once again, Gary Grimalini and Tunes from John Cafferty and the Beaver Brown Band for being our very first guest interview. And we hope you all join us again on the next episode of It's Only Rock and Roll, the podcast. Yeah.